This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Pass to work quickly. Down to six seconds. Carr going down again. And it's Quentin Williams this time for the Jets. Looks right, fires a bomb down the right sideline again for Mims. What a catch by Denzel Mims. Folks, our long national nightmare is over. The New York Jets have fired Adam Gase. You're listening to the Cool Your Jets podcast with your hosts, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, your instant thoughts. I'm feeling great right now. This is, it feels like a dark cloud that's been hanging over this. All of us and this team is finally gone and I, I can't believe it was only two years it feels like it was a lot longer than that but it, it was two years longer than it should have been so I'm so happy right now yeah go back to January of 2018 and I guess this is relevant because this is the exact same process the Jets will be going through the, the next few weeks and just recall your feelings when Adam Gase was was hired and how does that compare to the way that the tenure eventually turned out because I think the big difference with Adam Gase sputtering in new york was there really wasn't much optimism it felt like a lot of forced optimism myself included it felt the whole time we were trying to say well okay but maybe he can be a good coach in these certain you know circumstances you even had to start a hashtag gaze positivity but was his tenure as jets head coach about as much of a train wreck as you thought it might be Right. Yeah. Uh, the gaze positivity is the first thing I remembered. He was my least favorite candidate. I, I even made, I posted an article of eight of the top candidates and I had him number eight as my least favorite. So I'm not going to say I was ever a fan, but you know, being as optimistic as I like to be, as soon as they hired him, I dug up all the reasons to be positive about it. As many as I could find stuff about how he did decent work with quarterbacks, usually making them or having them play better under him than they did with other teams before and after him, stuff like that. And some of his other offensive success with the Dolphins, just really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And, and, you know, there was some stuff to like uh, that could potentially make it work out from an offensive production standpoint. But the questions with leadership and just being able to manage a team and relate with players, those are all the big question marks that made him such a bad candidate. And we knew about them immediately. I mean, as soon as he was fired, Dolphins players were celebrating it. And then a few days later, he's the Jets head coach. And now here we are. And exactly what we kind of thought would play out in terms of him and his relationship with the locker room, leadership, things like that. Um, all those things have transpired. And the production hasn't been there to back it up either. It's not like he has this amazing resume outside of the uh, the stint he had with Peyton Manning in Denver. So I think it kind of played out in terms of the the weaknesses as badly as we thought. The offensive production, I think, I didn't expect him to be good, but this bad is definitely a yeah. surprise. Because he even in Miami, where all of his stops, Denver, Chicago, and then when he was an, ass an assistant in other places, never even close to this bad. And he had stuff to work with, with Darnold uh, and, you know, some other not too many young pieces offensively, let's be honest, but he had Sam Darnold and Darnold showed potential in his rookie season and Gase didn't deliver on it. So it was definitely worse than I expected from that perspective. But in terms of the leadership and just managing an entire team, I think that's the biggest thing. Wouldn't you say? Because that's exactly what we were concerned about and it did not take long. You start that um, the season opener against Buffalo, blowing that game, Darnold goes down your own four and things were already spiraling well, downhill it, it, immediately. Okay. Well, Let's be honest. There wasn't much of a grace period for, for Adam Gase. It, right. Yeah, you're right. We went from laughing at Dolphins fans for firing their coach and having this, you know, kind of circus-like atmosphere where all these players are celebrating their their clown of a coach. And then a few days later, we're trying to rationalize hiring Adam Gase. And it was funny because – I shouldn't even say funny. Going into 2018, it was kind of similar to now. A little bit – I would say – I should say a lot more optimism from, I guess, the national um, fans – and, and hiring Gase just took out 
all the air out of that balloon because we went from maybe they're going to hire Matt Rule or Cliff Kingsbury, and we have this young, uh, you know, I was going to second year, but his young quarterback and Sam Darnold, we felt like we had some talented pieces. And as soon as they hired Gase and I read that, I was like, oh, like that, it just from the very start was like the clock was on on how long are we going to have to wait until he's fired and we can have a, a new head coach. Even going into this year, it was like, we had that podcast where it was like, are Sam Darnold, Adam Gase tied to the hip? And the answer essentially was yes. I mean, it was pretty hard to have a scenario where Sam Darnold played well in spite of Gase, but Gase still got fired. And and in the, in the end, it was that they both played terribly. Not It's not all on Adam Gase. Sam Darnold did not live up to his expectations. And he this should be his last game as, as quarterback of the Jets. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just... It was disappointing, but not surprising, I guess, how I would describe it. But I would say, yeah, the, the most surprising part was that the offense was this bad. I mean, I, I expected him in his second go-around of being a head coach that he was um, going to probably learn from some of his mistakes. But it seems like he only dug his heels further into the ground and, and, and didn't really start to change his philosophy as, as far as taking accountability and, and trying to use – um, stuff outside of his, his general playbook, like motion and stuff. He didn't really start doing that until the second half of the season when his, when his fate was already sealed. So, you know, I'm never going to be happy for a guy losing his job, but as, as Adam Gase said so eloquently, I'm rich as fuck. So it's like, you know, at the end of the day, he got to live his live stream. Um, but I, I do think, though, it's kind of a blessing for the Jets and for us as fans that he was this bad offensively because being the coach he is with having all the questions here. in terms of leadership, and all those things, there's a cap on his ceiling. He can't win a Super Bowl. He just can't. So even if he were okay offensively and, you know, sort of developed Arnold, led the Jets to a decent offense, then, you know, the Jets would be good enough to keep him around, but he'd just be continuing to stick around for a few more years, hold him back from a Super Bowl, and they'd just be stuck in the mud. So I think it's a good thing for the long-term future of the franchise that he was this bad and made it easy for them to move on from him after only two years, because how, yeah. how often has, have the Jets even been able to move on from a coach after only two years? When you look at their history, the last time that's happened was Al Groh, who's only there for one year, then co-tight before that. So right. it's been a long time since the coach has been that bad to where they could allow them to move on quickly. So yeah. it, it's, it's good, I think, that, you know, because Gase was, is not a Super Bowl coach. He's not of good. He can't lead the entire team. So the fact that his offense struggled this much, made it easy for them to move on. Yeah, you're completely right. And it's kind of the same thing with with Darnold in the sense that you don't want to be stuck with kind of a middling quarterback or even head coach in that case where I think Bill O'Brien is a good example of it with the Texans and maybe a guy like Mitch Trubisky or maybe Jameis Winston because Trubisky's having a better second half of the season. But look at those two guys where it's like they have a guy like Jameis has those flashes and it's the, the same flashes we've been talking about with Darnold for the – for the first two years of his career, um, but he never fully put it together, and the Bucks kept investing more in him, and it ended up costing him. And the same thing happens with with Bill O'Brien and Houston, where it's like they're winning playoff games, but if you take a deeper look, it's like how much of that is Deshaun Watson and how much is that uh, is Bill O'Brien? Uh, instead, they gave Bill O'Brien more power, and he ended up you know trading their best, their second best player, I guess I should say, and just DeAndre uh, Hopkins. And in today's NFL, where things turn around so quickly you it's better to just bottom out like the jets have done it's better to just things aren't working they're going miserably they're picking to clear the head coach clear the qb and in two years the jets could be a playoff team it the expectation should be that the jets should be in the playoffs in 2023 or i guess 2022 because we're going into the 21 season i you get a one-year grace period in my mind as a first year coach and and and, and quarterback and that next year you better see some definite improvement like sure you could maybe miss it if you win nine games but there better be some definite improvement. And I think that was a big thing with Gase's Jets is we never saw that, that image he had for the team. They never really got better. Sure. I mean, I think they, the, the one thing you could say to him, if you want to say something positive about Adam Gase is I will give him credit because I think this was a big question when he was hired, especially as you saw this player celebrating his demise in Miami was that he was going to lose the locker room that players don't like him, that, you know, they, nobody respects him or whatever. And you have to give him credit because in back-to-back -back seasons, when the sky was falling, nobody on that team quit. I mean, it, this season in particular, it looks like they were going to go winless. It really felt like they were going to go winless uh, the entire season, but they kept playing hard. And the, the same goes for last season when they started one and seven out of the gate, but they, they finished and they, and they did play hard for him and finish seven and nine. Like, yes, you can look deeper and say like, 
in the first season, that was a lot of Greg Williams's defense. And in this most, most recent season, they beat a COVID, you know, uh, they beat a, a team in the Rams who probably overlooked them in a, in a uh, COVID ravaged team in the Browns, but they still didn't quit on him. We didn't have any outside of Jamal Adams going to the New York daily news, any major circus players going after him publicly. Now we'll see when he gets fired, if there's going to be anybody celebrating, but if you listen, a lot of the team leaders in the post-game press conferences have mentioned that they like Adam Gase and that they hope he stays. Um, obviously he's out of here, but you have to give Gase credit for that. I think that was my biggest concern for him. And I guess there was that, but outside of it, the X's and O's, his team never really got better. It took the next step. Michael, how can the Jets avoid? I mean, honestly, anybody, I, I should even say. And, and also I do have to add a positive. He's very good with wearing his mask this yes. season. I don't think we saw this man's the, the lower half of his face at yes. all the season. So credit I, to Adam Gase. Yes, I did see a similar tweet saying that he is, there's a few positives, and, and those are two of them. There might be maybe in existence. I think that's four. enough, though. Let's rip Adam Gase. All right, you guys <laughs> played hard. Okay, that's the the bare minimum of being a head coach. Congratulations. Yeah. Now let's talk any... about hitting the league average for passing yards one time in the entire season. Let's talk about being last in yards in two consecutive seasons. I think that's the highlight of the Adam Gase era. Ridiculously bad production with a talented franchise quarterback that he very much contributed to ruining again not all his fault very much on sam darnold himself who just you know regressed even compared to where he was with gase in the first season but adam i mean the numbers the jets put up in terms of their offensive production with gase is just unbelievable extremely bad not just disappointing compared to where they are and they don't have the talent to be great offensively but the numbers they put up under him are out of this world bad i mean some of the stuff i brought up but their best performance in terms of total yards this season, 376. That's their absolute best. They didn't get to 400 yards once. After that, it's 333 is their second best. In terms of first downs, they only went over 23 times. They, were, they, they did a lot of impressive things under Gase, and especially if you take out opening drives, because, look, they were good at opening drives. He did a nice job with that, but unfortunately, football games usually have 10 to 12 drives, not just one. It's a chess and match. It's everything a after that first drive is quite bad. Yeah, it's a chess match, and it's a game of adjustments, and Adam Gase has failed at, at both those. He's not a master chess player that, that he probably thought of himself as. Michael, how can the Jets have – I mean, look – it would be pretty hard to do worse than Adam Gase with this coaching hire. But as, as you said to me, we shall treat the Jets as idiots until proven otherwise. Right. How can the Jets avoid another Adam Gase-like hire? I guess in traits they should be looking for in a head coach. And then who are some of the – and I doubt there's anybody in the, the market that can conceivably hire that would be at least on the surface worse than Adam Gase. But who are some of the, the Adam Gase candidates the Jets should avoid in this coaching search? So I, I think in, in, instead of just looking at candidates, I think I'll take the top three things that we learned from Adam Gase that you should avoid in a head coach. I'll give my top three and then you give yours. So I'll okay. start. I think the number one thing, or we'll, we'll start, bad no particular, hair. no particular bad, order. Bad facial hair. Bad facial hair is number four on the list. But to go to the top three, yeah, the I think the, the biggest thing is that you need someone who can lead an entire team. He's a one-sided coach. That's a big problem. You heard it from beat reporters all the time. Robbie Sabo talks about it, that he pretty much only led the offense, and Greg Williams was the head coach of the defense. It wasn't even like Gase's head coach. You know, he'll run his offense, but he'll, you know, check in on the defense, go in on meetings, coach those guys up a little bit. It wasn't like that at all. He's only coaching the offense. It was almost like there were two head coaches. You can't have that. You need to have a leader over the entire team, and that's how you establish – your culture and really figure out what your identity is, who the leaders on the team are, how you want to play and just make sure everyone's playing hard, playing for each other. He could not establish that because he is a one-sided coach who does not manage the entire team. So for me, I think that's the biggest thing. The second thing I think is when you're looking at a, in terms of the side of the ball, they do for Gase, the offense. And, you know, there are some defensive candidates as well. I think you don't want to be fooled by production that is too far uh, that, that they don't have too much to do with. Cause with Adam Gase, the biggest thing is what he did with the Broncos and look, they put up record setting numbers. He was the offensive coordinator. That's great. But we've seen, a, first of all, it's Peyton Manning who's known for being maybe if not the, you know, most involved field general of all time, he right there with Tom Brady. So 
And we've seen reports of how Gase, uh, there was one I saw a few weeks ago um, about how Gase wouldn't even, like Peyton Manning was pretty much running that offense. He would call plays himself at the line and Gase would pretty much just okay them. So things like that, you really got to be careful of. If you're going to go off of a coach's production, how their team produces, you want to make sure that they have a lot to do with it and they're not just benefiting from the talent on their team. Did they do things schematically to get the best out of their players? Did they take a team and make them produce more than they should have based on their talent? Things like that. And I don't think Gase really did that. The Dolphins were not good offensively under him. Um, We've seen what Tannehill has done after him, which should have been a red flag based on, uh, well, obviously that happened in 2019. So that is retroactive at this point, but still in Chicago, Miami wasn't a lot of production. And those teams did have some talent to work with, not a ton, but the biggest thing you went off of with Gase was Denver. And that wasn't something that you could really give him too much credit for because of the talent he had. So leading the entire team, being careful with valuating talent. And I think you have to be careful with coaches who are also have to be careful with coaches who are coming off of a tenure, which they struggled. Adam Gase was just had two bad seasons in Miami. And then a week later with no time to reflect on that, he's the head coach of the jets. I think for me, that's something that I definitely have questions about going with coaches that were just fired because I think they need some time to, yeah. And there really isn't anyone in this field this year that this applies to Um, uh, Doug Peterson. If he does become available, seems like the Eagles will keep him. Mike McCarthy was this last year and the Cowboys are deaf or, uh, not this year, but last year when the Jets were looking for coaches. But I think that's something you have to look out for, too. Um, I think that coaches who get fired need some time to reflect, kind of learn from their mistakes, let those things sink in so they can change and develop. And Gase definitely did not, uh, was not able to do that. So for me, I think those are the three biggest things. What do you think? Right. I, I absolutely agree. I would say th- the three for me, one of them is pretty much the same, but two are a little bit different. But the w- the one that I think we share in common is yeah, that, that CEO type of mentality in a head coach. And that doesn't mean that they can't be, if they hire a defensive guy that they can't have a heavy influence on their defense. Like you see, Brian Flores is the head coach, of the Miami dolphins. He is the head coach, but he, he obviously tinkers with his defense. Um, right. Like, like most coaches have their side of the ball that they run, but they're right. still able to manage the whole team. Like you look at exactly. a floor as a Sean McDermott, they coach the whole team. They're yeah. able to get in the locker room and, get everyone fired up and coach everyone be there for every single guy. They have their side of the ball that they run, but they're still the leader of the team. And exactly. Was even, not that. that would even apply to, to Sean Payton, who is probably the first, maybe not the first example, but one of the older examples of having an offensive guy who this is his, that's his forte. And that's, he calls plays and whatnot, but he still oversees that defense. And I think that's an important point. You can't have a guy and they've had it the last three head coaches Arguably, you could keep go back, keep going back further until Parcells. I guess Herm Edwards was, was a was a team CEO type of coach, but with Rex Ryan, with Todd Bowles, with Adam Gase, you need a guy who's going to be involved in all three phases. Um, and I think that's a really important uh, thing for the Jets. I, and this kind of piggybacks off that. I want to keep this on the same one point, but like he has to be a leader. He has to be a guy that that motivates. He has to be. I think this is something that Rex Ryan was good at. If we're going to give him a compliment, that I loved that Rex was a player's coach, that Rex, for the most part, got the most out of his guys. There are some issues with accountability with, with Rex and Bowles, but I, I want a guy who inspires, and I don't feel like the Jets – I feel like the Jets really missed the mark with Adam Gase there. I think that was the number one thing. It's like, really? Does Adam Gase get in front of a, a team of 53 guys and talk to the offense, the defense, the special team, and inspire? You know, from what we saw and from what we know, he was a very one-sided coach who kind of liked to meddle in the background and maybe he'd make some smart-ass remarks and curse a few times, but he wasn't that player's coach that that, that I felt like. Right, and I, th- I think a big disclaimer here is that you don't necessarily need the biggest rah-rah guy in right. the world. You, right. you don't need Rex Ryan or Jim Harbaugh. There's, there are different ways to, to lead yes. and motivate. You don't necessarily have to be yelling and screaming, like, look at Bill Belichick. I don't think he's standing on right. top of any tables, so right. – um, it, you don't have to be that vocal, but there you have to be able to lead in some way. And that's why I think guys like like Arthur Smith is a guy who who we love. But the biggest question mark with him is, can he lead a whole team? Can he be a head coach? And that's a legitimate question. We don't know that without being in the room with him. But like, I think he's a good example because 
you read about him, he's just good with player to player relations. And that's one way you can be a good leader of a whole team, even without being the biggest rah rah guy. If you can relate with your players, be there as a guy who can they can they can trust to come talk to and just you know be able to get on the same page with them, teach them, understand what they're right. going through, their problems, help them improve, things like that on a player to coach level you could still be a leader in that way even if you're not rex ryan so there are a lot of different ways to lead but you just have to be a leader of the entire team in some way exactly and the 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 next two points which are a little easier to to talk about because i think the first one's a bit of an abstract because you're right i mean you don't have to be the loudest guy in the room to inspire and i think that's what i'm trying to say the jets need to find that guy with that factor that players want to follow him and i don't feel like they've had that with adam gase i don't feel like they had that with todd bowles i think rex ryan had that a little bit but he had some other issues including these next two and the first one is the ability to build a staff and i'm not just talking about bringing in their buddies you know i think that's my most annoying thing about adam gase is that he never hired an offensive coordinator that i really felt was challenging him in any way he never brought in a qb coach that wasn't he never brought in a qb coach what am i saying it was just him and dell with, with Sam Darnold, he wanted to limit the voices, but it's, I don't, I feel like if he had hired a QB coach, whose number one job was just Sam Darnold's mechanics. And they butted out of that a little bit, aside from the, the, the pointer there here and there. I mean, for God's sakes, he's the head coach. He, he should delegate some responsibilities. And one of those can be, Hey, your number one job, fix Sam Darnold's mechanics. Hell when he got hired, Sam Darnold's mechanics wasn't his biggest issue keep you know just keep them sharp whatever whatever jeremy bates was doing was working for donald in his, in his rookie season that would be number two for me arguably number one that ability to build the staff because let's be honest it, it ties in with the point number one if you bring in a head coach he has to oversee the entire operation so he can't get bogged down in the tight ends blocking ability or something you have to delegate to position coaches and coordinators and you need to make sure those guys are qualified for the job and are doing a good job but they can't just be your friends you can't just pick up a bunch of friends along the way and then build your dream staff. You need to get guys who are qualified and are good position coach coaches and cut the ones that don't work. The fact that there was not a single position coach change or coordinator change last between 2019 and 2020 was mind boggling because that seven and nine record was a mirage. The jets, if these jets could have gone seven and nine last year, in my mind, if, if the ball broke the exact same way that it did for them, Last year, I think they got a lot of lucky wins last year. They might have been better with, with Jamal. So maybe five and 11, six and 10, but that was not a seven and nine team last year. And hell, seven and nine is still a losing season. That's still a bad season. Um, so that would be the, the number two thing for me. Yeah, this this yeah. is a really good point. I, I probably should have brought this one up. This is a great one. And and look, they're, you know, nepotism is a real thing. You know, guys are going to hire people they know. It's going to be part of the staff, but you do want to be open to going beyond your own circle and finding guys who are just, you know, good at coaching, being able to look around the league and know who's out there, who deserves a promotion. And Gase didn't really do that. He did favor, I think. And look, there were, you know, they got Greg Williams, not that Gase necessarily was big on bringing him in, but you know, they did have some other outside guys who weren't connected to Gase, but especially the quarterback and offensive part of it, Dowell Loggins is not good. And he was running this offense just because he was Gase's friend. And they had no quarterback coach, like you mentioned, which was huge for a guy like Sam Darnold. And look, I know Gase was brought here to to fix Darnold, but he's not a quarterback coach. He's an offensive coordinator. He's there to run the scheme. He's not necessarily, and we don't know for sure. We don't know Adam Gase personally or watch practice, but he's, I think it's safe to say he's not a quarterback coach developing kind of guy a quarterback guru well he yeah, they didn't even he might, hire he might be he might be the patriots qb coach next year and, and it's true. not even it's true and you look at like shanahan in, in san francisco he has like a passing game coordinator and a run game coordinator i think la does the same thing when, with the rams he could have done something like that where he just needs to delegate some certain responsibilities but it's a good point you made because they did that a little bit with the defense and then they made greg the head coach of the defense and he had some nepotism uh moves like literally his son um, and his, his, <laughs> I think it was Gase's father-in-law. Well, I guess that Greg didn't get along with him originally, but um, there were certainly signings like that. And it's just interesting to look back on because the reason Matt rule is not coaching the New York jets today is because ownership was not comfortable with, with his choice for offense coordinator. They wanted to pair him with, with Adam Gase. They wanted to meddle. Uh, and in some respects, they're making the same argument we're making, which is like, Whoa, wait, wait. Don't just hire your friends. But the problem is, is the Jets were 
we're meddling. And, and I think it has to be something where you need to hire a head coach, let him choose his staff, but you have to have faith that he's going to choose the best guy for the job. And looking back, would Sean Ryan have been that much worse than Adam Gase? Probably not. I mean, probably would have been better. Um, so it's kind of a fine line that the Johnsons don't meddle, but also that that head coach has to take some responsibility. That's like, okay, sure. If you want to have a buddy that you, you feel you can confide in as an offensive quality control coach or something like that, sure. But you better make sure that your QB coach is the best QB coach in the league in your eyes. Obviously, that's not always going to happen, but you got to get the best guy for the team and not just your buddies. And I felt like that was a big issue with Adam Gase. And the third thing, which is a huge issue for Gase, and a lot of the best coaches do this, is instead of trying to fit players into a system, they build their system around the players. And if we're talking that's about a, great a head one. coach, that's a great if one. If we're talking about a head coach that's not even calling plays or calling defense, there's still a philosophy and there's still a system there. And the philosophy for the 2021 Jets and onward has to be versatility and flexibility. They cannot be doing the same thing where they're trying to force Sam Darnold to be paid Manning. It shouldn't be forcing Sam Darnold to be paid Manning. It should be forcing Adam Gase to be Kyle Shanahan. That's the big leap. I mean, they need to mold their team around their players. And that was a big thing that the Jets didn't do uh, with Sam Darnold under Adam Gase. And I think that's a huge lesson they could learn going forward. And when they get in that interview process, you're going to say, now, how would you, you look at Arthur Smith? Let's say, and we're going to talk about him in just a second. Justin Fields had an amazing national championship game and he's likely the number two pick. Look, Trevor could fall. They could take Zach Wilson. Hell, they could stick with Sam Darnold. Um, but let's say Justin Fields is the quarterback and you're looking at, at Arthur Smith, who I think, as you all know, I love, but he, you know, he mixes in some QB runs with Ryan Tannehill. But if you're going to have Justin Fields as your quarterback, he's a guy that may end up being one of the top quarterbacks in the league, but he is at least his first few years and probably his entire career needs an offense that's built around him. Like Lamar had an offense completely designed around him. He's obviously more of a pure passer than Lamar is. We saw that in the national championship game when they took away his running, he was terrific in the pocket, but would you plug Justin Fields into to Adam Gase's system? If you hire a guy like Arthur Smith, you have to sit down in that interview and say, so how would you build around this player? And obviously Justin Fields isn't on the team. So, but I'm just using him as a hypothetical. What are some different things that you're going to do to bring into your playbook around the, around your players? What is your philosophy when it comes to that? If, if Joe Douglas makes a trade for Allen Robinson, are you going to force him to be Corey Davis or are you going to allow him to be Allen Robinson and take what your players do best and, and, build a philosophy around that or build a scheme around that. But the overall philosophy needs to be that we build our scheme towards our players and not our players towards our scheme. Yeah. I, I think that is a fantastic one as well. Both of your last two are great um, to, to talk a little bit about the I'm just, stat I'm thing. Just more, amazing. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm, yeah, the, you, I'm the real, you're, you're much, you're much better than me. I think without, <laughs> without me, this podcast would probably be a lot better. So, but to talk about I think the, Michael, what you said, I think you account for like 75% yeah. of our listeners. At, so I, you know, you're just a marketing machine at this point. No, I think I'm more like 5%. It's mostly you. <laughs> We're going to have to check the stats on it, but it's definitely the majority of, of it is people yeah. want to hear you. Yeah. All 12 of my followers. But I think the staff, to go back to the staff, then talk about what you said with um, matching your or building around your players. First with the staff, I think the biggest thing is that, look, you have to understand that you know, guys are going to want to hire coaches who they're comfortable with, who they know. And that's okay. You do want some of that. But it just at the end of the day, no matter who you're hiring, just the staff has to be strong, whether they're guys you know, whether you're going outside the box, you need a strong staff. And Gase did not have that, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you just go up and down the list. We know Loggins first and foremost, but um, they're just not a lot of, not too many accomplished guys in that room. And then the, the development at each position was not great either. So that's the biggest thing. Just make it good. However you do it, um, you want a good mix of guys who you're comfortable with and going outside the box for better talent, you know, not, not sacrificing talent for familiarity, get good coaches. Even if you don't know them, look at college, look around the league, see who deserves a promotion get good coaches in, build a good staff. And then what you said about um, making sure that you're building, you're changing your system to fit the players rather than the other way around. That is an extremely huge point. And that was probably Gase's biggest weakness from a schematic and play calling standpoint was that he did his thing and he didn't really change it to fit who the Jets had at quarterback, who they had at receiver. He was just doing whatever he wanted. Um, he's doing things his way instead of building around the players, specifically the quarterback, like you said, and, and that's something that just can't happen. So you need a coach who's adaptable, who 
and coaches have their philosophies. Arthur Smith is a run first coach. Cliff Kingsbury last year went into Arizona with the mindset he was going to build that air raid offense. So guys have their philosophies, but you have to have a degree of, you have to be malleable. You have to be able to change and build around your players and be able to take your core philosophy and adapt it in a way to where you're still doing your thing, you know, what you specialize in, what you believe in, but you're doing it in a way where the players you have can fit. And and Joe, Joe Douglas is going to do the best he can to get, buy the right groceries for the cooks that he brings in on offense and defense. And, you know, that's huge. You have to get talent that fits the coaches that you bring in that fits their schemes. But at the same time, you're not always going to be able to build the perfect team for your coach on both sides of the ball. So you have to be able to adapt and just conform to the players that you have. You know, Sam Darnold was, you know, Gase hoped he could build him into an excellent field reader, but he wasn't that. And so he probably should have called more play action, called more rollouts to fill up. fulfill his skill set and and again Darnold just you know didn't develop in his own right the way he was playing I don't know if any scheme would have worked uh this year but still Gase didn't do a good job of giving him the best opportunity and then you know in terms of the receivers you have if you don't have guys who can make plays after the catch then don't run too many screens like he did uh with Brashad Perriman and Braxton Berrios at times although Berrios did do good a few times but you just got to conform to the players you have to an extent you have your philosophy and your scheme and that is great you need that you need your identity so you know so the general manager in the front office know what kind of team they're building so you need to have your core identity but at the same time you need to know who's on your team and you need to be able to mold your team to your players so that's a huge one for me, I think. But to to, to talk more about Gase, I think. Um, well, what, actually, what do you think? What do you think is? Or go, go ahead, go ahead, and then I'll ask my question. Well, I was just going to say that it's especially important with the QB position. Obviously, the Jets have three quarterbacks they're staring at, and hell, even Donald. So four quarterbacks that are very specific in their skill set, and they're going to need an offense that's built around them. And that, you know, we've talked about should fall more on the offense coordinator unless the head coach. But that philosophy still needs to exist, and it also applies to the defense. You can't just have a guy that's going to come in here and say, and look, you, the Jets are so malleable, I guess, on the defense defensive side because they're going to have to make a lot of different changes. But if you're going to guy, if you're going to have a guy who comes in here and says, "I run a strict four three, and the Jets don't have that type of personnel, you need you need to have the ability to adapt. And that was one of the things I liked about Greg Williams. But the biggest point there is it's not just from coaches to players, but it's management to coaches. And I and I think that was a a positive from the Gase tenure is that I think it was the first time that the Jets had a coach and GM that were really working in sync together. Obviously the results weren't great, but I liked that Joe Douglas, especially in the draft, his strategy was to what type of system does Adam Gase run and what type of players does he want for that system? And then Joe Douglas goes and picks the best guys that, that he could, he could find for that. Now it's not always the case. We've just talked about, you want to build a system around players, but I like that there's that communication between the head coach and the GM in the sense that get the type of players this head coach wants, but then those, those, those coaches have to be malleable, like you said, and build it around the players, build their system around the players. Yeah, and I think a good point to, to add in, another thing that's important um, in terms of the, the head coach hire is that the, op, the inverse of what you said, the relationship between Gase and Joe Douglas is or was a big problem in 2019, his first season, the fact that Gase and Mike McCagnan did not have a very good relationship. So you need to get a head coach that yeah, is on the same page with the GM. Don't force the coach on Joe Douglas. Make sure Joe Douglas yeah. is on board with him. And that was one of the things we said in the I said in the Arthur Smith article was that you can't uh, force – Johnson just can't meddle. You have to let Joe Douglas pick his guy because I think that's, that's a good point. 2019 went so poorly – Partly because the Jets just had two conflicting ideals. They need one vision, and that vision has to align with Joe Douglas, and they have to move full steam ahead with it. I like what Joe Douglas has done. I think there's certainly room for improvement. We'll learn a lot about him this offseason. I think we'll learn more about him this offseason than any other offseason because he's going to have a coaching hire, a QB, and a ton of assets to use. And I think he he needs to be more aggressive in free, agent, in tr- free agency and trades. Look, you can blame it last year on the fact that he understood what the team was. He understood that they weren't making a playoff run, and there was the, the cap concerns with COVID and whatnot. But you're going to have a young quarterback, most likely, on a rookie contract. They need to be aggressive. 
it's a two-year league in my eyes. I think you can turn around from being worst to first, maybe not first, but worst to playoffs within two years. And I think Joe Douglas can do that, but it's a very crucial offseason to get right. They need to get the head coaching right. They need to get the QB right. And they need to build around him. They just need to, to, to be aggressive. Uh, and I think his draft class, sir, there's some questionable picks, but you know, you, you have to, to wait until you, you can fully uh, grade them. Guys like Zuniga, you know, Nathan Shepard was quite very quiet his rookie year. And then the second year he, he improved to a solid rotational player, obviously not a, a world beater, but a guy that belongs on the roster Zuniga right now, completely quiet third round pick, but he might develop into a guy like that, a rotational player, even more. And the same goes with Ashton Davis and a lot of these other guys that we haven't really seen too much of. Obviously, Becton, albeit some of the injury concerns are there, but he's been a great pick. Mims, there's also some durability you know, questions there. Um, and we haven't necessarily seen the, the weekly consistency, but a lot of flashes and a lot to like there. And Bryce Hall, obviously, he's closed the season very strong. So there's there's definite good in Joe Douglas's draft class. I'm very happy to have and – and I feel like he has a vision – uh, I'm very confident in the Jets management moving forward, uh, but the Johnsons cannot meddle in his vision. Joe Douglas has some things he needs to work on, but they just need to trust him with his head coaching hire. Because even if, if there are some doubts about Douglas in the Jets eyes, which I don't think there really should be that many, they just need to trust him because we've seen the alternative approach. You can't take any half measures. They have to fully trust Joe Douglas and, and, and then uh, give him that vision. Even if it's hiring a guy like Don Martindale, who might not be the most flashy of head coaching hires, you need to get the, the, the you need to get Joe Douglas's guys is essentially what I'm saying. Right. And, and it's just huge to have that relationship. And uh, the, a big reason Adam Gase didn't work out is because the way you started to doubt in that first season, forcing him with Mike McKagan. And that clearly was not a relationship that worked out. And it kind of blew up the second season as well, starting out, you know, or, or the first season with, you know, having McKagan there early and then firing him in the middle of the off season. But uh, I think now that this tenure is over, I think now we have to reflect and look back and enjoy the positives of Adam Gase's tenure here. Because, look, he wasn't good at coaching football, but he definitely delivered some laughs, I think. So what are your top three Adam Gase moments during his two years with the Jets? You, you can start. You can start. OK, you can start. You're going to spring me on this. Well, I have two of them off the bat. I have to think. Spring this on me. That's, yeah, right. OK. Two of them I have off the bat. The third, I'm going to have to think a little bit. Obviously, the press conference. I mean, I knew right then, and I mean, we knew when he got hired, but I knew right then and there, I was like, "Oh boy, this is about to be a shit show." Um, I, I don't think I, I don't think there'll ever be a, a press conference that will top that. How just how weird that was. I don't know if he was on drugs, if he was just nervous. He never <laughs> was like that in any other post game press conference or, or any other press conference. So I don't know if that was just he's just unnatural and uncomfortable in front of those that many cameras and those those lights or if there was something else going on there i would say that's number one number two would be the smelling. i mean uh, to talk about that quick i think um a lot of people brought up that like he wasn't wearing a hat and he usually wears a hat in most interviews uncomfortable with his bald head and that was uh, you know you can make that point but still even if you look at other interviews where he does have a hat you can see his eyes and he's never been that crazy i I really don't know (laughs) what was going on we one day there will be a documentary about this and and we'll find out i think i would say number two would be the smelling salts before the preseason game (laughs) i would say that was definitely uh uh memorable i would say i mean at that i think that was probably gase's peak his his ceiling as as far as jets twitter being fully behind him was when we saw him with those smelling salts i mean that was that was pretty legendary and then after that I have to think. Those, those are pretty iconic. You well, do have well, to think. Your three. Let me hear three, your three. All then. right. A couple come to mind first. I think one that comes to mind is the Miami game last last year or this year. I forget which one it was. It might actually be both of them. But there were there was a, a shot of Adam Gase just in complete solitude on the bench. No one within 50 feet of him, just all alone on the bench. A picture of him. And you got the screenshot of the Jets losing by like 20 at the bottom. So that was great. Also, last year, the story about him skipping Thanksgiving to prepare for the Bengals (laughs) game. And then the Jets (laughs) score no touchdowns against the winless Bengals. Those are pretty great. I'll think of a third one, but you've had some time. So throw it out there. Uh, I mean, I think those those were were pretty, uh, pretty amazing. I would say the... I'm rich as fuck story was pretty great. 
I would say when he had to announce that Sam Darnold had mono, um, that was pretty interesting. I would just say as a third gaze positivity memorable moment, I would say it was his his daily spars with Rich Samini I felt were always entertaining. Yes. I always ended up kind of liking him a little bit more after I'd watch his press conferences, even though I got the sense that he was maybe a little bit arrogant. I always ended up liking the fact that he he was okay with ribbing Rich Samini for, for needling him for, for quotes and stories. So I would say uh, there's not a really specific mind. I was trying to think of a specific moment between them. Well, they had that they had that moment over the uh, over training camp. What was that? They had one that was pretty big. I'm trying to remember what it was though. I remember reading about it because I didn't watch it. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Where he him and Rich Samini went back and forth. Um, th- there was one during the season when they were talking about the play calling. He's like, "This isn't hard. This isn't hard." Oh, that's what. Yeah, okay. No, it was that. It was that. He also did the one with Manish Mehta. I think it was last year where Manish asks him, um, do you, th-, and it, it was after he lost the Dolphins in the same game. He's like, do you think this validates um, the Dolphins decision to fire you? And he was like, that's a stupid question. Next. <laughs> and then the Manish, I, I missed the Manish and Rich Samini spars with Adam Gates. I would say those, the third one was a bit of a cop out, but in general, I, I think that paints my, my favorite picture of Adam Gates. What about you? I mean, I think we summed it up pretty good. But uh, I, th- I think it was also funny to watch sometimes some of his film breakdowns with the Jets website <laughs> that he would do. Um, because the Adam Gay show? Yeah, the Adam Gay show. Um, th- those were funny to watch sometimes. Times- I don't know. He, he comes off as like, you know, he knows his stuff. He's there for a reason. But it's just funny to watch those. And he's just so positive about the I, team. I love when they, they were- probably lost by like 30 in the game. But he's like, this is just a fantastic yeah but i love i love how they were still i gotta give him credit they were doing it when he was like oh and ten and i'm just like yeah i don't think i could ever sit down and break down that pile of shit i mean we didn't have a (laughs) single film episode of this podcast the entire season um oh you know what one comes to mind i forget which game this happened in i think it might happen twice where he was so used to being a coach and and lifting up his headset and spitting on the ground but this year he had the mask on so there's a few times this year where he oh, yeah. where he'd lift his headset up and turn and spit. And I don't know if he if he does spit inside of his mouth and then he just has spit all over his mouth <laughs> or if he catches himself and like kind of sucks it back in. But there's two times where you literally see him, that exact muscle memory, he lifts up the headset and goes to spit and then he pops back up. Um, so I think that this is this is how, you know, we're watching these games, watching re rewatching them too many times. <laughs> now, I asked you earlier and you and you, you refused to answer. But I'm going to push oh. you since you forced this on me. Okay. Who would be the Adam Gase hire of, of this coaching cycle? I think, listen, I'm not saying he's Adam Gase, but Arthur Smith, just the questions in terms Yo, of, can, listen, listen, let me, let me explain. Let me explain. You know I'm an Arthur Smith man. Traitor. You know I'm an Arthur Smith man. But, ju- but just listen, I think the questions in terms of the leadership, is he just a coordinator? are potentially there i don't think they are i don't think they are because based on what we've read about him and his production is a lot different again i get what you're saying different i'm just saying in terms of the the concerns of the leadership can he be a head coach he's he's much different in terms of even the actual concerns i mentioned before like his production is legitimate he made the titans a lot better than they were before he made Tannehill a lot better than he was before he made derrick henry a lot better than he was before Corey davis aj brown has been great from the start under him so he's not adam gase in a lot of ways just the one thing i go you're is, saying can he lead the whole team that's the only yeah. thing the and only thing that and I'm there's bearing. the obvious there's the obvious like adam gase leans on peyton manning arthur smith leans on derrick henry but i think if you dig a little deeper you read about arthur although smith. i think that's a little bit different a running back versus <laughs> okay, right, greatest yeah. quarterbacks ever. okay well i'm just saying that they have a, a generational player to lean on um i go didn't do much of anything before arthur, you arthur made the smith article not coach. me you made the you made the point <laughs> not me what are you talking about you're coming after my article of my guy i, I get what you're saying and, and if i'm being completely honest there, no, I'm, I'm saying Derrick Henry didn't do anything before Arthur Smith was the head coach. That's I'll what I'm admit, saying. I'll admit I might have some candidates at this point that I would maybe prefer over Arthur Smith, but I'm not going to admit that publicly. I think Joe Brady might be a Gase kind of one in terms no, okay. of you're not you're not you're not getting the the not getting the, the biggest thing I think with Adam Gase is a guy no, who's not a coordinator, getting, not a head coach. Okay. That's okay. what I think when you I think, think too Adam analytically. Gase. You're thinking too analytically. I'm saying who is the guy that we can hire. That Jets Twitter will have an absolute meltdown. Oh, okay. All the okay. optimism 
will be shut out. Okay, I, I misunderstood your question. I was, I was comparing like resumes. I was comparing okay. resumes. I said who would be the art. Okay, you know what, Michael? <laughs> We're through. No, I'm just kidding. Um, All okay. right, that'll do it for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> and the Plus entire podcast. Manscaped. Yeah. Um, no, okay. Marvin Lewis would be my guy. Who I think will get an interview. I think he didn't he just get an interview with somebody? Yeah, Detroit. He, he got an interview with Detroit. He has connections to Joe Douglas. He is that CEO head coach for 16 years. There's some positives there, but look, I'm not hiring a 63-year-old head coach that has zero playoff wins in 16 years. I don't care how bad the Bengals organization was. I, pe- I got people are going to say, well, he elevated that program. He's had a year off. It's like, no, 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 and no, stay away from Marvin Lewis. Yeah, I, I agree. I think him and prob- probably Jim Caldwell you can throw in there just in the sense that, look, I, I will definitely find ways to be positive about them if they hire them. They have good resumes as head coaches, but it, it's just the sense that the Jets have a chance here to be forward thinking, hire someone who's younger, more in tune with the league has had success in recent years. Those two guys had their success long ago. They're a lot further up there in age than a lot of these candidates. So it, it's just not as exciting now, as some of the hires they could make. So I now, think those two. Now you want a third who if I had to choose out of these three, I would probably take... Oh, actually, I have to throw another one. No, 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 no. I might I'm be going yours. to say right, it say first. It, say it's it. going to be mine, for sure. Brian Schottenheimer, I think, would be the worst candidate out of yeah, those Yeah, that, that's who I was going to cut okay, in. That's, okay, them. that's... What, well, because I think, one, he fits your... I think he fits a lot better than Arthur Smith, your whole Adam yeah. Gase play caller who leaned on Russell freaking Wilson, who, well, by the way, a lot of Seahawks fans don't love Brian Schottenheimer. There was the whole let Russ cook, and now Brian Schottenheimer's opened up the playbook. I think he was Tom Pelissaro linked him to the Jets because he's been in New York. The Johnsons like him, but I would not be a fan of that hire. And like Gase, I could totally talk myself into some Schottenheimer positivity. Um, If he was the hire, I could see him getting an interview, but... I just, especially there's the relations between the Seahawks and Jets organization, but Jesus. Yeah, that, that's the one. If that happens, Jets fans are going to explode. Well, I mean, he cost the Jets the AFC Championship in Pittsburgh. He ran it right up the middle four times in a row on the one-yard line. I mean, there's – and his tenure in the in New York as Jets OC has been better than anybody else in, in recent memory. Jeremy Bates looks a lot better in, in retrospect for those last four games but john morton deserves some credit. oh john morton i forgot about john morton but but brian shot him or what he did with with mark sanchez is impressive but then you realize the offensive line that he had the run game and that offense was never amazing they just had a good run game um but yeah stay away from brian schottenheimer stay away from marvin lewis and jim caldwell out of all those i think i would take marvin lewis but those are the three candidates of what if they hire pretty much anybody outside of that I think I'd be happy. And and Michael and I are going to be doing starting tomorrow. This is coming out on Monday. So starting Tuesday, what is it? Tuesday the 4th, I think. And get your dates right. Tuesday the 5th? Wow. Okay. Tuesday the 5th, we will um, be having a different candidate profile every single day for about as long as we we want. I mean, we have a lot lined up already of the guys we that we know or think will be hot candidates. You know, in, in the 21st century now, teams announce who they've interviewed. So if, if anybody out of left field gets announced, we'll scramble and get somebody together for him. So for the next 10 or so days, there will be a CYJ pod every single day. I think Arthur Smith is going to be the first one tomorrow. Um, things could change, but then we have one plan for Joe Brady, Matt Eberflus, Robert Sala, Brian Dable, Biennemi, Martindale Roman, Fitzgerald Campbell. I mean, we, we're, we're lining everything up that, so that everybody – and we're going to bring on somebody – um, from who either follows a team or covers the team um, to talk about this person. And we can ask him questions, get into a little bit of a deep dive so everybody can understand the Jets head coaching candidate landscape a little bit better. Um, and also just to, to shake it up. I, Michael and I have a lot of plans for 2021. We think this is a big off season for the team and a big off season for us. So we're, we're excited to not have to talk um, about quarterbacks every single day. Although there will most certainly be, Somebody from Ohio State coming in and, and representing Justin Fields or somebody from BYU and talking about Zach Wilson. There's going to be film. We have a lot of stuff planned. Speaking of Justin Fields, though, Michael, before we get out of here, what were your thoughts on that national or that semifinal game, I guess I should say, that college football playoff game, defeating Trevor Lawrence, six touchdowns, gritty performance, come back from that rib injury. I literally said, I was like, as soon as he got hit, I was like, this is going to be like Emmett Smith's. I, you know, I was raised in NFL Network and they used to have those top 10 grittiest games and Emmett Smith's. I think it was against the Giants 
where he hurt something and then ran for like 200 yards or whatever. I was like, this is going to be his Emmett Smith game. And also if I was Justin Fields in that situation, I tweeted this out. I would just be playing that injury up, just acting like I'm in excruciating agony after every throw and just really make scouts think that I'm gritty and tough. It does seem like he was in legit pain and that was a legitimately impressive performance. Michael, before we get out of here, we're going to have four months to talk about Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and hell, even Trevor Lawrence. Ooh. It's going to be tough. It's going to be thoughts? a ride. What were your thoughts on that game? Months. What were your thoughts on that game? And also, if Justin Fields beats Alabama in the national championship game, we know that Urban Meyer to the Jaguars is seeming like a marriage that's inevitable. Is there a chance that Trevor Lawrence still falls to the Jets at two? Well, first to talk about what he did in the Sugar Bowl. It was really impressive, and it was definitely what I wanted to see because I still like Justin Fields a lot. I think people overreacted to the his past three games a little bit too much not in the sense that they weren't concerning because they definitely were but just in the fact that you never want to overreact to a couple of games and a whole career too much but so let's so, overreact to this game that's exactly what we're going to do so i would take fields number number one even if the jets were there trevor lawrence is really <laughs> overrated he kind of looked like daniel jones mike glennon blend out there so i don't think he's good he, anyway. he did look human though Trevor did. did look exceedingly human, he and he was out without Tony Elliott, who is right. Martindale's top OC candidate. So maybe who's the real Elliott. mastermind? Sort of right, how, exactly. like, uh, you know, like when SpongeBob was in driving school and Patrick had the walkie-talkie in his brain, giving yes. him all the answers. That's Tony Elliott, okay. and Trevor Lawrence, and we're getting the Patrick in this scenario, and Tony Elliott with Wink Martindale. I'm, I'm warming up to Martindale. I'll be honest, but okay, yeah. continue with Justin okay. Fields. But realistic. So it was definitely good to see because, you know, he showed some legitimate issues past few games with the interceptions he threw were not fluky. They were very bad in those over that three game stretch. So he needed a big performance. And this is the key could not have done any better than this because not just the production, but it was legitimate production, great deep balls. They were on point. He was moving around, making throws outside the pocket and the cherry on top, the injury, which you mentioned, he was limping around in the first half. I thought they should have taken him out. I'm surprised he stayed in and he just came out and was dealing, showing the complete uh, his his full arsenal, everything that makes him exciting. So huge bounce back performance. I still have Wilson as my second quarterback, but it's so close for me between them that I'm okay with either one at the second pick. But that was a huge uh, game for him to raise his stock back up at least in the eyes of how you know the out, outside world looks at them but in terms of can the Jaguars take him at number one the question definitely has to be there with hiring Urban Meyer and the fact that um, Day was going to be their backup choice if they if they can't get him it seems like they will but if they it, that they're saying that Day would be their backup it's definitely interesting but I, I just don't see it I don't see them doing it it has to be on the table now more so than it was but right. I, I still think they're gonna go with Trevor but if Fields can have another great game I think he can make himself the obvious second quarterback and maybe cement himself as the Jets pick I don't see him passing Lawrence so and, and I don't think it matters if they wins it's just about if they win it's just about what he does individually you never want to overreact to the team result but that, that's a big thing with evaluation. Winning doesn't matter. It's what the individual does. But uh, he, I think he has a chance to really cement him because he was the obvious second quarterback coming into the season, and he had a great start to the season that only made it more obvious, and then he just really fell off over those three games, and Wilson sprung up. But if he can have one more great game, I think he could really kind of make a case to be almost the obvious second quarterback like he was at the yeah, beginning of the season. I, I would say, I would say he's definitely – I shouldn't say definitely. He's my number two quarterback for now. And in all honesty, I haven't really watched too much of him. I mean, I've watched different game cutups. Obviously, I watched the a few of Justin Fields' games. I've watched both his bowl game and Zach Wilson's bowl game. I watched a cutup of, of a Zach Wilson game, but we really haven't had a chance to fully watch it, watch it with somebody who really knows what they're talking about, like Joe Blewett, or talk to any Ohio State guys or BYU guys and kind of sell us on them. But right now I would say it goes Lawrence, Fields, and Wilson for me. But I'm open to change. I'm malleable. Um, but when it comes to with the Jags pass on, on Trevor for, for Justin Fields, I agree with you. I think, look, certainly crazier things have happened. Um, especially since the Jaguars for 12 weeks talked themselves into that Justin Fields was going to be their guy that they assumed the jets were going to lose out and that they were most likely going to be taking him. They did all sorts of background on him. They certainly have looked at the coaches that would be, that suited for him. I mean, they've done a lot of legwork this entire fall and winter 
And the vast majority of the time, they thought that Fields was going to be their QB. So certainly crazier things have happened. I mean, hell, Darnold was QB number one until about a day before the draft. That's when kind of the Baker going number one stuff started to heat up. Um, so crazier things have happened, but I don't think it's going to happen for a few reasons. And we'll, we'll know a lot. First, they have to hire Urban Meyer. And then once they hire him, who's their GM? Because is, is Urban Meyer going to be the GM head coach? Or is Urban Meyer going to strictly focus on coaching? And are they going to bring somebody in, a GM who strictly makes personnel decisions? Um, and that'll be a big tell. Because if they bring in somebody who strictly makes personnel decisions, that's not just a lap dog for Urban Meyer, um, then I find it hard to believe that they'd, they'd take Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence. The big reason, in my mind, is, is if you take Trevor Lawrence over Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence is bad and Justin Fields is good. Nobody's really going to blame you because this is the guy that's been promised as the LeBron James, um, the Je- or I guess Andrew Luck, I guess I should, should use a football reference, the Andrew Luck, the generational prospect. Nobody's going to blame you if, if you mess that up. But if you take Justin Fields, if you take a gamble like that and you pass on Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence is who we think he is and Justin Fields sputters like some think he might, I don't even think you'll get a second year. Maybe, maybe you get two years, but you'll be run out of town regardless. You can't mess that pick up no matter what else, what other moves you make. So I think most GMs that come in would just take Trevor Lawrence. But when you talk about Justin Fields, I mean, he answered a lot of questions on Sunday because there's not many times that a guy comes into the NFL with that type of arm power. I mean, already he would be one of the better deep ball throwers in the NFL. I think he'd be a top five deep thrower in the NFL right now. Not only does he have that arm power, but a lot of times with those big arm QBs, they're inaccurate. Justin Fields is not inaccurate. There are some different ball placement things he could maybe work on, but he's an accurate guy. He has the arm strength, the accuracy, and he's mobile. He's dynamic as a runner. So he has a lot of physical traits that you'd like. He obviously has the size. He has a quick release. I love the velocity he puts in the ball. There's a lot of things to like with him. Now, the issues have, have always been – there's a few of them. One, well, he's playing with a bunch of NFL talent. I mean, how many – there's a few NFLers on his offensive line. There's a few NFLers receivers and his defense is going to have a lot of NFL talent as well. So how much is he just being propped up by a great team? There's not really been a good Ohio state quarterback. So there's some questions there, but I will say in this game against Clemson, he's playing against a lot of NFL uh, players, a defense that was near the top of, of NCAA and sacks was no slouch of a defense and he shred them. Uh, then the other issue is that he has a clean pocket every uh, every play. I mean, I think it was his average time to or his quickest time to throw when blitzed was about a half second slower than the yeah. The, the concerning stat was that his average time to get the ball out when he's blitzed is longer than when he's not blitzed, and it was also longer than every quarterback in the NFL this season. Thank so that's that. a really concerning one. Thank you uh, for helping me out there. I was going to sputter through that one. Um, so obviously there's some concerns there, but I will say when Clemson blitzed him, he was decisive. He figured out what to do with the ball. Um, he only really had one mistake and it was an interception that was tipped at the line of scrimmage. And the last one um, would be his ability to go through progressions. We've already have a quarterback who struggles reading the field. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily fields problem. It's, I guess it, it counts as, as uh, reading the field, but he locks onto that target. And I think he has so much confidence in himself like Darnold where if if option A is even a little bit open, he's not going to check or see that option B is a way more wide open. I mean, his first touchdown you saw that where he fit into this amazing window on the inside shoulder as tight end. It's like, well, okay, if you just turn your head like five yards to the right, you'll see a wide open tight end for a touchdown. And that was his biggest issue, but you saw it a few times in that game where he went through his progressions. And I think the other thing that's important and impressive about that game was – First of all, obviously the biggest game of his life, the revenge game against the team that knocked him out. He's playing the guy who's going to be the number one overall pick. Zach Wilson is catching up on him. Obviously he's injured. And you took away his his legs, which it, throughout Justin Fields' career has been his, his, I don't even say his backup plan, his old reliable, his safety valve. One of his best weapons are his legs. And that it, that hit, that injury, that took away that. And he was to able to have the best game of his entire college career without one of his best weapons. He didn't look rattled. He looked like he had that if factor. He was clutch in the biggest game of his life. And we're going to learn a lot more about him on that national championship. So there's a lot of things to like about fields. And the thing is, is and we've seen it with the bills. Cause if Josh Allen went to the jets, I don't think Josh Allen is an MVP candidate. I, I don't even think that's close. You need to bring in the right coach. You need to bring in weapons for him. You cannot leave him throwing to Andre Roberts late in the season, like Darnold was doing as a rookie. 
and you need to have an offensive coordinator that's going to build a system around him. This goes for Fields. This goes for Wilson. This also goes for Lawrence. And if you can just draft one of those those ta- physically talented guys like Fields, you're not going to get a more physically talented guy than that. And you build around him, you can develop him into a pro bowler and, and a star QB. The Jets are in a really good spot. And if they haven't learned anything from 2017, uh, they're screwed. I mean, they need to learn from that year. That's the best case study as to why the Jets should take a rookie quarterback. For anybody who's still on the we can salvage Darnold train, and I know this is something we've been beating a dead horse for like 15 weeks. So I think we can, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say we'll stop it, but I think we can effectively stop it with this. If you still think that the Jets should keep Sam Darnold, let's take a look at 2017. What did the Jets do? They were in a QB rich draft in a position to draft an elite QB prospect, but they passed because they had a young guy on their roster that they wanted to see fully see what he was. And they were concerned about the rest of the roster. Let's build the roster up. And then if we need a QB, we can take him the next year. And he can come in uh, with a better roster. Well, what happened? The Jets in that draft passed on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson for for Christian Hackenberg, who didn't even play a single snap. And then they had to use three second-round picks, so sacrificing assets, to go and get Sam Darnold, who didn't work out. The whole reason we're in this mess is because the Jets passed on Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson in 2017. If you're in a position to take an elite QB prospect and you are – there are major question marks about your quarterback. That's not even considering Darnold's struggles or Darnold's contract. There's major question marks in that position. You don't mess around. And the other thing to consider, this QB class is the best QB class in a while. Next year's QB class is not going to be nearly as good. You're not going to have another shot at a Justin Fields-type prospect next year. And even if there's a Joe Burrow-esque type season, somebody has an incredible one year, the Jets most likely, most likely with a new coach and all of the why would I expect to be an aggressive offseason for, for Joe Douglas, especially if he's keeping Sam Darnold, they're not going to be in that position. They're going to have to trade up. They're going to have to sacrifice assets that will, all that will do will hurt the, the young QB they get. The reason Sam Darnold didn't have a lot of talent around him. Well, he didn't have three second round picks his entire career. The first second round pick was Denzel Mims this year. So the jets, if you're in that boat, if you're in that boat that the Jets should keep Sam Darnold and build around him, let's not forget that the jets have, arguably more assets than anybody else in the NFL. They have plenty of assets right now to build around their young QB. They shouldn't hamstring themselves in the future by taking Penny Sewell, by trading down, because Sam Darnold, for the most part, most likely will not be a good NFL quarterback. And if he is, he's not the Aaron Rodgers, or the Tony Romo, or the Patrick Mahomes we thought he might be. Best case scenario for Darnold, he's Alex Smith. He's a 10 to 15 quarterback. And I just don't agree with that. And I don't agree with if you don't have a top five, top 10 quarterback, winning a Super Bowl is that much harder. That's not even mentioning that if you trade Darnold, you could probably get a two, maybe even a, a five in addition to that and build around your young quarterback. That if you uh, uh, build around Justin Fields, you have a rookie contract and all those assets to build around your young quarterback. There's just, there's so many arguments to be made about drafting quarterback that the only way the Jets can mess us up is if they don't draft a quarterback, if they land up, if they end up with Lawrence Fields or Wilson, I will be happy with the direction the Jets are going in. I mean, I think you just nailed everything perfectly. I, those are the exact words that I would have said, word for word. So I, I think you wrapped it up as 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 well as you could wrap up this nightmare of a season. And and to the YouTube commenter who said in our last episode, you guys talk way too much about the quarterbacks. Fuck oh, you. Get used, We're not, to <laughs> get used to it. Four more months of this and probably after. It's like, what else are we supposed to talk about? Neville Hewitt. This is the only interesting thing happening. Bryce Hager. Right. Oh, my God. So I love the Week 17 games where they just have about 10 to 15 guys that I've never heard of. Just making Trevon Coley. I don't think is that a real guy? Who that is. It is a real guy who was on the Jets. Jesus. Um, so as I said earlier, we will have the head coaching uh, candidates. Uh, a deep dive into each one of them, an individual episode with somebody there uh, that covers the team or knows a lot about them um, over the next 10 or so days, um, starting with Arthur Smith, our number one guy, or at least I shouldn't even say that anymore. He's, he's up there, a top guy. The guy wrote the article about that'll be coming up tomorrow. After that, we got Joe Brady. Um, and we got one every single day um, for the next while. So a lot of CYJ content coming your way. Um, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. You can follow myself at Ben W. Blessington. Uh, find us at JetsXFactor.com. That's the best place to go for Jets content. 
And this offseason is going to be a big one for the team, but also for Jets X Factor and for this podcast. So make sure you find us there. We're on iTunes and Spotify. Feel free to, to, to leave a review. Sponsored by Manscaped. Use the code CoolYourJets for 20% off and free shipping. Michael, we can get out of here. This nightmarish, dreadful season is finally over. The Jets didn't get the number one pick like we had talked about for, for 15 or so weeks, 14 or so weeks. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm happy with the direction that this organization could be going and they have to, they have a lot to, to, to get right this off season, but um, I'm just extremely excited about the next 12 months of, of jets related football and Justin Fields is no, not a bad consolation prize. Um, pretty, pretty excited about either him or Wilson. So Plenty to be excited about with the Jets uh, going on right now, but they have to get this head coaching hire right. As I said, tune into the CYJ feed to get all you need to know about the Jets head coaching prospects. Thank you for listening to us throughout the entire season. This has been an awesome season for the growth of our podcast. We're getting more listeners than ever, but obviously a terrible season for the team. So we look forward to seeing the numbers we'll do when the Jets are actually kind of good. Um, so anyways, just thank you for listening to us throughout the, throughout the entire season. I hope everybody had a good new year, a good uh, holiday season and let's hope 2021 is just a little bit better than than 2020 down to six seconds car going down again and it's quentin williams this time for the jets the middle in the air picked off brian pool to the end zone touchdown Connor the beat and the punter brings him down brayton man saved a touchdown most likely looks right fires a bomb down the right sideline again for mims what a catch by denzel mims